Oh yeah, dig it. Hello, hi, and welcome to episode 48 of the Macho Movie Man podcast. Um, today we will be talking about a cult classics early Coen's film, and we have a debut on the podcast today. Hello there. Hello, this What's is John. This is John. Yep. Uh, new to the show. Yeah, first time for everything. Absolutely, and what you heard just there was a truck going by because the window's open. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. We need our fresh air. Absolutely, absolutely. It's those Salt Hill summer months now. Yeah, yes. yeah boy races are already around. Oh, the <laughs> super, the supers. If you hear someone screaming in the background, it's someone on the whatever the ex extreme i don't know what it's called but it has an eight in the title and it's the ride at the fair yeah. that goes oh right yeah yeah Fri it, uh, the extreme eight that i, I right. do not know oh, yeah fair enough yeah but yeah. um yeah first time on the show yeah yeah uh well i see i meet you every once in a while in the cinema absolutely so ever, still, absolutely I'm, ships in the night type situation yeah yeah, yeah. uh uh, year year ahead still year ahead here. of a year above us in college. Uh, two years, yeah, yeah. and then uh, sure still will. hanging around town. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. sure, we're all, I'm almost a year out at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it. Have not really have not gotten as much film work in in that first year as we all wanted to, but uh, uh yeah, you know, like uh, yeah. there's no no yeah. no harm. In, sure, we're, you we're were still going. We're still also going. sure you were the year that like your your final year literally COVID started. So yeah, it's... I graduated in twenty nineteen, and then that's uh if that's nine months later was COVID. So, oh, I I wasn't so I wasn't doing any film work. Oh, wait, I didn't so, try looking so into it. You were like, I, oh, I thought you were the no. I was no the year. Oh yeah, after no. me was the guys who. Yeah, no, quote, I got uh, you mixed up. I thought you were in the year with all Jake Rabbit's housemates. No, no. Well, oh. I technically wasn't the year with his housemates, but those housemates were in the same year as me. Oh. And yeah, it's a bit. Uh, it's, I I don't yeah. know. To be honest, I don't know what would have happened if I yeah. went into the film industry with uh. That with COVID and I mm. pres presumably wouldn't be far off where I am today. But no, I can't complain. No. I still have money in the pocket. Ah, yeah. Still surviving. We're all gonna get there at some point. But yeah. um, yeah. Now, so why are we doing raising Arizona this week? I really wanted to do a Nick Cage episode because uh, the tremendous, the unbearable um, weight of massive pressure. Yeah, which yes. you got to see early. Yeah, last night. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, we can. You can hold it off for another day. All I will, all I will say is, it is, it is what we wanted. There you go. It is what we wanted. Happy hours. Very uh, happy hours. Yeah, like, I think I don't. I think even in America, it's only been shown it very early na last night as well. So like. It, yeah, it's, I it'd been and I, I know there's a couple of reviews out for, but that's just press people who. Yeah, yeah. Got an early showing. You know, those Americans have been really goddamn lucky lately. They've gotten this and they have everything everywhere all at once. From what I saw, there is a UK release date. When? It doesn't say if it's the Irish one, but nine yeah. times out of ten, the UK and the I Irish are the same one because we have joint uh, yeah, yeah. cinema chains, uh, especially up north. Um, May 13th. Oh, perfect. Yeah. That, so under a month... Under a month to yep. wait. Happy, yeah. Hopefully we don't get too much spoiled. All I, I already, unfortunately, I have one small element of it has I, been 
I've just it. seen the trailer, so that's I've all I know I've seen me. I've seen like some of the merchandising that's been based right. off the film, and it's like, okay, part of me would have liked to have gotten the shock of that in the in the screen, but you know, if you want to sell fo- those foam fingers, uh, yeah, yeah, it is, yeah, true, but true. You gotta yeah, make that no. money. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, about the cage, yes. Uh, at one point, I was thinking of doing face-off, but that fell through. I, then I wanted to do Colour Out of Space, so that fell through. So I was like, okay, how about I do something that's like early Cage? And this is pretty early Cage. It's the second film, is it? It's the No, it's the Coen Brothers' second film. Is it? Yeah. Coppola, Cage had gotten a name for himself in the 80s. He had done Valley Girl and Rumblefish beforehand. Yeah, yeah. But he still had that image of, oh, here's Francis Ford Coppola's nephew. Like, his first yeah. major film credit would have been Fast Times at Richmond High, where he's one of the stoners who falls out of Spicoli's van with him. But, and yeah, in yeah. that he is, and that he is under that as Nicholas Coppola. All right. So yeah. he's credited as that in the film, and then he changed it to Cage, and then he started having a few successes. This is the same year as Moonstruck. Is this his first... Oh, so it's not his first leading role. with, Because uh, that, basically... Valley did, Girl was his first leading role. Do you know when role. you go onto YouTube and you look up actors today, yeah. a lot of actors have done explaining famous roles. I looked at him uh, the last day or two, and, uh, yeah, that was, like, the second film he ex- he explained. So, usually, when they yeah. do that, it's, like, their first pro. You think that's their yeah. first Yeah, I think seconds. it's also one of those things where it's, like, they won't try to explain, like, a film that, like, fans yeah. aren't as much. People like this role for Cage because it feels very Nick Cage, but he hasn't, like, reached that full tilt yet. Like, he, like you look at that character and, like, that's a Nick Cage character, but, but he doesn't have yeah. the shouting Gonzo. He he explained in his video that uh, that yeah, in Vanity Fair, uh, he based it off a cartoon character. He even based yes. his haircut off the cartoon. W- the character. Woody Woodpecker character. Yeah. So tattoo. It makes sense that he wasn't going yeah. full bonkers just this, yet. This <laughs> is a pivotal moment in his career because he has Moonstruck this same year, and he very he was very close to getting an Oscar nod for that. Cher wins her Oscar for it, but there's hint, there's like there's elements of cageisms in Moonstruck definitely, but it's kept in at bay by everything else going on. So what the is follow- the point? The following year is Vampire's Kiss. Okay, and that's where that is essentially, that is the workshop that Nick Cage took, in which he reinvented the medium of acting. That. That that Ethan Hawke quote where it's like Nick Cage is the first actor since Marilyn Brando to do something genuinely new with the acting profession. Vampire's Kiss is the laboratory workshop where he did all these experiments to create the Nick Cage style of acting. Uh so at what point does he get in so much debt that he's willing to do whatever they give him? I think that's some point in the 2000s. I, it must be early 2000s. Because, well, no, because early I 2000s, he's still, do, he's still doing, he does adaptation, he does the National Treasure that's, films. Yeah, yeah. So he's still having fairly okay hits at mainstream levels mixed with good sort of dramatic work on the side. It is somewhere around that Sorcerer's Apprentice post... Oh, yeah, post, yeah, yeah. I think at some point post Wicker Man, 
that's where it kind of goes downhill and he's taking jobs to pay off debts and he kind of gets through that every now and again he has like he has an an, an emergence like kick ass that, that that's where i can think of him from uh in more i guess before he he he's gone off as the proper yeah. indie darling again yeah but like kick ass he 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 talks like very stoic he's like hi i am big daddy this yeah. is my daughter uh, yeah. Pick girl, we At are this, going to kill the villain. That's he always said that was him trying to be Adam West Batman. Yeah, yeah. And then at one point he was having a conversation with Adam West, and he was just like, "Hey, did you see me trying to emulate you?" And I think Adam West was like, "The word there was trying." Uh, have you ever heard, read the Kickass or heard about the Kickass comic? It's so. Funny. I have. It's he's his characters eat fucked up in the fucking comic yeah i can imagine they they pulled back a little bit on they it but pulled i pulled back a lot i i think i've read like one of the later comics yeah, yeah. i don't know uh, i think there was only four volumes they made the first two yeah out of the movies and there was a third and fourth one but that I, never I got made <laughs> yeah uh i think i think the second one un- underperformed too much and then you had the whole yeah. jim carrey came out against it due to violence yeah yeah um, even though half the film's marketing was Jesus, isn't Jim Carrey fucking jacked? Yeah. <sighs> but, um... So, yeah, back to... Yeah. Raising Arizona. So, and obviously I was just like... Well, there's also... this four corners of Cage. And the action side fell through. The Gonzo side fell through with Colors Out of Space. And what he is... Nowadays, he is kind of mainly in that Gonzo region. Mandy. Um... Pig. Pig. Well, oh, actually, no. Pig is way more on the dramatic side. Oh well, yeah, of course. Dramatic yeah. side with a touch of like, oh, this looks like Nicholas Cage is gonna go Gonzo, but yeah, then he yeah. tricks, he tricks it, and he doesn't. But yeah, um, that, that, that's made it so good though. Absolutely, but um, and and even then, like, he's having a resurgence in itself because he's he's also got Spider Verse money coming in. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, I will say this: unbearable weight is the perfect mixture of each corner gonzo dramatic comedy and uh action cage yeah 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 uh, and and i'm just like okay then why don't we try the route of comedy cage and it it's this it's um vampire's kiss it's moonstruck that kind of thing and um yeah no there's there's too much to unpack with vampires there's, there's too many memes to unpack you know, like that's the, that's where the Nick Cage with the eyes. Yeah. That yeah. it's in that film. It's that film where he's just like, I haven't misfiled anything. Not once, not one time. Uh, he yells out the alphabet for a full minute. You know. Class. He runs down the street. He runs down the street yelling, "I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire!" <laughs> <laughs> you know, like. It's so mad. It's like what would happen if there was an actual artistic version of the room. It is that. It's it's like the room had a love. Tommy Wiseau was trained. No, it's it's very much kind of the bizarre love child of the room and American Psycho. That's how I would describe Vampire's Kiss. Damn, that mean we need. I need to watch that. But um, yeah, and so. We'll do Raising Arizona because this also means oh, I can cover my favorite Coen's Brothers film. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty frigging great. I yeah. watched, I, so I watched it for the first time last night, and 
yeah, it was. Uh, it it has so many so many yeah. elements that you can pick up from them. Uh, and it's, spe- it's especially it's in definitely in the vibe of uh, Fargo. Yes. Uh, where it's like uh, your down to earth um, uh, mm. local American s- mm. story. That this you is um, Far- Far- Fargo in the desert, essentially. I haven't seen the desert. Uh, no, no, Fargo, but set in oh, a in desert. Oh, set in the... Uh, in a yeah. desert, yeah. Uh, the desert, that sounds like... That does sound like a movie. Mm. <laughs> but, um... Well, also, with a, with, with a bit more kind of quirk to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fargo is... Fargo is... I, I'd see it as, like, uh... Far- it's, more it's of a, a serious crime it's story a serious, to an extent. It's a serious crime story with, like, the element of, like, be happy with what you got, and if you go looking for more, you're going to end up in a wood check, wood yeah. <laughs> but um yeah no and and again like this is you know i think my top three cohen's would be um this lebowski and true grit yeah yeah, yeah that's a pretty uh, solid no solid country for men uh i'd be yeah own. that's uh, and I, I mean, a serious man that's brilliant yes that's really good and i also have like a soft spot for hail caesar i know some people aren't as I, high I on see, that yeah, I, I remember watching it on rt yeah. a few years ago and it was like it, they're jumping all over the place with the yeah i think it was just that kind of thing it was like i think that was my first cohen's movie i ever saw and oh, also right. i'm a sucker for anything that's kind of set in that time period of hollywood yeah f- yeah you know i'm Yes, I feel like, unfortunately, I am the person that being the Ricardos was made for, but I didn't even like that. It's like, in the last few years, I'm like, oh no, these movies are made for me. I feel <laughs> I feel guilty now. <laughs> this, that, mank. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, like, oh no, shit, I'm that target audience. I need to apologize to people. <laughs> Oh. You you do well in the you uh you fit well into the Academy Awards. They love oh they do movies. they do they they like it too much. Yeah yeah yeah. They do. Aye. but um anyway the cast we've got Nicholas Cage, just uh, you know same year as Moonstruck he's starting to become, a taken seriously actor in Hollywood, and then following Vampire's Kiss he wasn't, and then he had to rebuild himself. Very John Travolta esque. Oh, presumably where in Travolta, considering wasn't he big in the seventies and then fell Travolta and came back in the nineties. Yeah, but yeah, Travolta. It was Greece Saturday Night Fever, and then staying alive, and then it just kind of went downhill yeah. because he he tried to maintain I'm a seventies actor, but he's in an eighties world. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, and then obviously he ended up getting Pulp Fiction and unlike Nicolas Cage, he was able to sustain that sort of 90s run for longer, you know, yeah, yeah. it wasn't until like the dawn of the 2010s when he started to fall into paycheck gigs for the sake of uh, paying off Giggy, debt. What's it? Is it Giggy the fucking movie they made with MoviePass, the subscription service in america gaudy gaudy that was yes like, yeah, yeah. and they marketed it as, a, as like you know like the trump campaign of movies where i was just yeah, like yeah. the media doesn't want you to see this <laughs> when it's yeah. just like every single scorsese trope just put into a blender so it also but, stars um, holly hunter uh uh-huh. but also uh travolta it was just like well cage chose all those straight to dvd films for the sake of you know his own livelihood yeah, yeah, yeah. Travolta chose Battlefield Earth <sighs> didn't even know he was in that he's the he's like the t- I, haven't, ma- I haven't watched it so. 
Well, like, it's based off a book by the guy who founded Scientology. Yeah. Oh, and Travolta is a Scientology. I'm thinking of Battleship, that one. Oh, Rihanna. oof. My bad. Yeah, I know what you're on about. Yeah, because John Travolta is a Scientologist. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's got Holly Hunter, who most from our generation would know as the voice of Elastigirl. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Trey Wilson, Arizona Senior. John Goodman. Of course. William Forsyth, you know. Goodman, a regular in in uh, Coen Brothers. He, he just he is in almost Everton though. At least uh, yeah. there was a point where he seems like he almost shows yeah. up in Everton. But where even good, be a cameo or but in fairness, a voice good actor. I, no, he's great. But yeah, just... no, but he's also in that weird spot of like, he's a regular with the Coen Brothers, but he's not like a Wes Anderson regular where yeah, he's in yeah. all of them. It's like he'll go a fair little time. He'll go a fair time before being in a new one. Yeah. Like, I don't think he's been in a new one since, like, maybe Lewin Davis? Yeah, that's yeah. that's another great one of theirs. Wow, that'd be, that's yeah. another perfect um, film. Got Sam McMurray as Glenn, the uh, asshole boss. Um, <laughs> Francis McDormand as his wife, as is tradition in a Coen Brothers yeah. movie. She is in pretty much all of them. Because yeah. she's married to, I believe, Ethan? Yeah, no, she's definitely, yeah, she's married to one of them. Uh, yeah, she's married to Ethan because he did uh, Tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, you got Randall Tex Cobb as uh, Leonard Smalls. Um, and the baby was played by TJ Coon. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, let's get into some pre-production. Go ahead. I said pre-production this time. I always get it mixed up with post-production. Yeah. There's always an on-air gaffe. But, um... The Coens started making waves in 84 with Blood Simple. Uh, but then, unfortunately, they kind of hit a speed bump in 1985. They wrote a film called Crime Wave that okay. was really badly uh, received. It was a disaster to make. Everyone on set really regrets doing it. It was directed by their good buddy, Mr. Sam Raimi. Oh, right. Yes, and so, it, this was Raimi coming off of Evil Dead. Yeah, yeah. So, so they're both on a high, and then they're like, okay, we kind of get given this script. Why don't you do this? All right, sure. Oh, no, this is a mess. Oh, no, oh, no. And it's kind of the film that they all kind of sweep under the rug, especially Raimi. Yeah. Uh, um, Cage had emerged, as we said, in the early 80s, Valley Girl, Rumblefish, he has Moonstruck the same year. So, like, he's an actor on the rise. Um, during the making... This is a fun fact. During the making of this film, the Coens were sharing a house with themselves, McDormand, Holly Hunter, and Raimi. While Raimi and Bruce Campbell were working on Evil Dead 2. So, at one point, this house... God knows where it was. Would have had Coens, McDormand, Hunter... Raimi and Bruce Campbell all in it at the same time working on different things. It must have been set somewhere near Arizona, but it, Arizona's not far, is right beside uh, California, so maybe yeah. it was like within an yeah. hour of drive. But also, that, yeah. but also, they're from like Minnesota, and oh, Raimi is very much, I think he's Michigan. Oh, right, yeah, yeah he's up there. Right yeah, they're very, they're very kind of, you know, proud state people of their own states. So. That, but that, yeah, that sounds like uh, that creative house I think we all want to be in at one point where all we're all I just would, walking around I would discussing str- ideas. I would straight up. up want to go on, you know those tours in America where they bring you to houses that used to be in films, like the house yeah, from yeah. Poltergeist. There's actually shit, there's actually, there's actually people living there. 
Like, oh, yeah, that's a residential house. house. The home loan. They bought... They re- that was sold recently. That fucking... <laughs> that, that house that has for 30 years made people wonder... What the fuck was Kevin's dad doing for a living? <laughs> that he, Money laundering. That he could have <laughs> fo- That house is a palace. So I uh, know apparently the the John the ex- Hughes house. Yeah, apparently the explanation was he he was in finance and his wife was in fashion design. So they were both making bank, but obviously white rich people. Uh, yeah, all most of his movies are white rich people. Yeah, you know, they enough. they all they all live in these massive houses. Yeah, but yeah. um. I do feel bad, though, for the folks who live in the poltergeist house because you still have people coming around the house thinking, is it haunted? Did they use real skeletons? What other famous house is there? Uh, uh, what else? Um, for, uh, those houses are, like, from westerns, like uh, the assassination of Jesse James, yeah. but that's out in the middle of a field, so yeah. something like that is the first thing that popped into me. And then, um, I know the apartment building that they used for, like, the exterior shots and friends. That's what, yeah. That is still, like, a place people visit in that re- area in New York. Um, uh, yeah. oh, yeah, the house is up in the hills in ho- Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are obviously real Yeah, yeah. Um, real houses, yeah. Yeah, um, but, um... Yeah, and this was written as a means to an end. They wanted to make Hood Sucker Proxy, but they would have needed a 40 million budget. And while they had had success with Blood Simple, they hadn't had enough success for a film studio in eighties in the late 80s to be like, hey, you two weird uh, weird indie guys, uh, so I... here's 40 million to do a film called The Hood Sucker Proxy because that's a name that's going to sell tickets in the 80s. So I think apparently in the, so in the 90s is when a lot of films, uh, a lot of independent films was when they were getting, they were being more risky with it so they were funding crazier and more independent oh films. so that's stuff like before clerks no after clerks uh kevin smith got his next film without a yeah without a sh- or uh i guess even tarantino's obviously the most famous case with reservoir dogs yeah the 90s uh, were that's that's the independent film movement the of, 90s were uh, were just like the boom for the yeah. indie films because you had even unfortunately miramax yeah 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 I mean, I mean, thank you know, he, he who shall not be named. He who shall not be named uh, broke into the industry, got success in the nineties. You know, again, you had folks like Tarantino, Smith. Yeah. Uh, who, oh, Spike Lee. Spike so Lee. After he made, she got to have it. He started to get more. Yeah, he. Pretty easy. Yeah, while yeah, because I know eighty not do the right thing is eighty nine, but by the time he gets in, but again, eighty nine kind of. That it kind of bleeds into the nineties, yeah, yeah. you know. Uh, that and he was apparently he was getting funding from uh his Nike commercials they were making. Yeah, he because he kept getting he was also getting a reputation for like yes that guy at the yeah. Chicago Bulls games. Oh uh, yeah, New York Knicks. <laughs> but, uh no yeah oh, so yeah, this yeah. was around the time just before that boom where independent films were. Uh, yeah, the, let, let, uh, less risky so they yeah, were starting to the Coens would have thrived yeah, in the 90s uh, they, but they, I mean they did but that was because they were they had that image of like here are the guys who laid the groundwork for this to yeah, happen you yeah, know he, they, they would have helped out a lot with that and uh, I, 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 I yeah this film definitely felt more like it was uh, a bit for everyone and it had comedy but it wasn't grim yeah. you know it had elements of being grim yeah. But uh, it was, but as I said, it was written because the studio said no to Hood Sucker no. Proxy, so they're like, 
all right, then we'll make a movie that we think can make money so that you'll give us the money to do this movie. It reminded me a lot of uh, Spielberg's, I think, first official uh, feature film, The Sugarland Express. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, that film, they're on the run from the beginning, but even then, it's the same sort of area, and there's obviously a lot of scenes with cars in this Mm. film, and it's set based around a couple. Of course. A few casting uh, hoo-hahs of who could have gotten cast but who didn't Kevin Costner auditioned for the role of High three times I didn't get it so I when I was watching that Nicolas Cage video uh, apparently the director yeah Conan uh, yelled at Nicolas Cage at one point I could have casted Kevin Costner but I went with you and then yeah. Nicolas Cage went back to him uh, why didn't you <laughs> and yeah. he just he shut him down after he, he, he shut his mouth after that I mean I can't picture Costner in this role so if this was eighty seven, he was at a he was on a high with a uh, field of dreams and because uh, that was eighty five, and uh, would have been eighty five. I'll look it up now to see when field of dreams was. I think no, it field of dreams been... eighty five, and I think it. I know he. I know he kind of peaks early. Field of Dreams is eighty nine. Eighty nine, my bad. Eighty nine. So this is. I... So this is pre. Yeah, this is pre before. Thing. He he does he hits his stride around eighty nine ninety yeah, because yeah. he you know, he kind of which no I'm thinking of bit they got oh he's I think he actually he had started to become a decent name by this point because this year he also he's in the Untouchables oh that's it yeah that's yeah he's in one. the Untouchables so he is kind of a he is kind of a name but like I don't think he's like. He doesn't reach peak Costner until the dawn of the nineties when he directs and stars yeah, in yeah. Dances with Wolves. Waterworld. Well, no, Waterworld is when things start to go downhill. Well, yeah, of course. You know, he gets too big for his britches after Dances with Wolves. He just thinks I can do whatever epic I want, and then he he gets taught otherwise. By yeah. the time the mid nineties come round, um. But yeah, so this so a pre Kevin Costner, Kevin Costner didn't get it, uh, and despite the fact that Edwin, the role of Ed being written specifically for Holly Hunter, who also at the same time would have been getting turned down for Evil Dead Two, be, despite the fact that that role was also written for her, the role of Bobby Joe in Evil Dead Two was written for her. The studio told Sam Raimi, "Uh, actually, we want a babe." She she looks pr- pretty oh, she, good in oh, this film. Oh, she's she's a beautiful woman, yeah. but it's weird that kind of thing is like that role feels slightly miscast because they went with the kind of babe as opposed to like the oh, genuine yeah, yeah. good actor, yeah. you know. Fa- uh, um, fair so despite the fact that the role was this role was written for Hunter in mind, they had they were told by the studio to offer it to Kate Capshaw, aka Spielberg's Mrs. AKA oh, dang. Willie well, yeah, from Temple, Temple of Doom. Doom, yeah, who you know turned it down, thankfully. Yeah, that's that would have been such a different Very version di- of the film. Cause yeah, I'm still, I've still, yeah, it's still that kind of thing. She still balanced that thing of like, was she able to act or was she just that's pretty much, or yeah, was it because it, she was dating Spielberg? At like, the I don't think she would have been able to. She wouldn't have been able to do well in that scene no. in the car where. She sends him back into the yeah, house. Yeah, being like a love interest in an Indiana Jones film is very different to being like the se- the semi-lead in a Coen Brothers uh, 
film, you know? Yeah, yeah. Especially when all she kind of does in that Indiana Jones film is scream and be the, I can't even with this Indian. Yeah. Uh, um, but she says she does regret it, which I imagine, obviously, she would. Because it's like, it's always the thing, like, was she-, she a good actress and she just got a got the wrong end of a bad role or was she or was she just like not that great of an actress you know <sighs> i kind of feel like she would have liked to have show been able to kind of tell people it's the former rather than the latter yeah yeah um cage and the coens they they didn't dislike one another it was just a choppy relationship on set because as you can imagine cage would be coming up to him was like i have this idea and I have this idea. And the Coen's are like, no. Like, they're very... Precise. Pre- precise in what their vision is. And uh, they won't really move from it. As uh, you would expect from folks who, you know, end up getting the reputation that the Coen's do. If if they they probably were under a lot of pressure too, considering the, the last film they wrote flopped. And they needed this one to be successful to get... Other, other films off so the ground. They yeah. Were, that was probably part of it. Yeah. But... And also, I just feel like Cage in general is one of those actors who would probably come up to you on set and just, like, have all these different ideas. Yeah, And yeah. depending on the mood you're in, you know, like, if you're in a good mood, you'd listen to him. And then if you're, like, hung over and just, like, oh, fuck it, what the fuck do you want now, Nick? <laughs> yeah. Huh. But, um, the character of Smalls was conceived as what High would have deemed an evil character as opposed to what uh, the Coens would have deemed evil. Because again, these are the guys, you know, uh, Shirkra in uh, No Country for Old Men is their idea of what a terrifying character is. And Leonard Smalls in this movie is someone who's driven out of a Mad Max movie. Yeah, it was like that ending was like Mad Max versus uh, Miami Vice. Yes, but... um. Uh, Cobb also caused genuine difficulties on set to the point where the co the Coens were like, yeah, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be going headfirst into working with him again, which is the nice way of being like we're not fucking working with him again, you know. Yeah. Cage was a bit tricky, but I feel like this guy was just straight up like bad to work with. Yeah, like fucking he he even he all that makeup and stuff they probably drew they probably went mental. Uh, yeah, they were probably were they were probably like freaked out when they seen him full makeup. That's yeah, what I meant to say. Yeah. Uh, uh, this ended, This was the first collaboration between the Coens and John Goodman. The first of what would later be six collaborations. Uh, his, yeah, his most iconic would be Big, Big Lebowski. Yeah, Big Lebowski. Yeah, this is pre. This is um a year or two before Goodman gets the Rose- Roseanne role. Oh right, yeah. So, so this is early years for Goodman. He he. He spends most of the nineties kind of being a kind of a well, sitcom guy. Yeah, if, and he probably and then, had a choice when whenever he wanted to go work on a film. Uh, to yeah, uh, and then obviously Roseanne finishes up, and then he gets Old Brother Where Art Thou, Big Lebowski, and then he gets Monsters Inc. And then mm-hmm. after that, it it's it's oh my god, it's John Goodman. You know? Yeah, he. he he just shows up in everything. One of those guys where I'm like, I'm really waiting for the, him to get that film. The way this pig was cages that film and everything everywhere all at once is going to be Michelle Yeoh's that film for them. I'm really waiting for John Goodman to get that. He, he never got an Oscar, did he? 
Uh, he's never been nominated. Never been. Uh, yeah. Ten uh, Cloverfield Lane. He didn't get nominated for that. That still annoys me. Uh, but um, yeah, and yeah, so like, the, him and Steve Buscemi are like the two guys where it's just like, I want something good to happen for them, especially kind, of, especially Buscemi. He needs to get out of the Adam Sandler crew. Uh, maybe he needs to go back to a Tarantino movie. Even though there's only one parent left, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. If Tarantino is finishing off with the next one film, he should bring as m- all the ba- all of them back. As oh, much of his in oh, fairness, actors. but also there's a few folks who was like, I would kind of like to see them do Tarantino before he goes. The next big, he, his last film should be a big epic where it's like he gets whoever he wants plus. Uh, I like, really not far off from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, I really do hope that it's not his last. I hope he can renege on that. Well, but I, I heard a lot of people think he'll just by saying his last film be like his last written director. Well, he might do direct some more films written by other people, or he, he might, might write a lot of stuff. He might go into TV. Yeah, like, yeah, apparently he's done it before. He's done an episode or two of CSI. Yeah, I don't know. There's just there's a lot of like current day actors I'd like to see oh, under yeah. the Tarantino I'd love to see Adam Driver do ta- do a Tarantino <laughs> yeah, I don't know there is something about that mix you know yeah yeah but um also I don't think we've ever seen Nick Cage in Tarantino oh no no he, no uh, he was obviously he's not in the first three films he did and he's on Kill Bill 1 or 2 and no he's on again the, I feel like that's a door. massive missed opportunity if we never get that <sighs> yeah you know but then again, uh, Cage did like it a Reddit AMA last week, and he was just talking about the directors he wanted to work with, and it was like Tarantino wasn't on there, but a lot of very interesting choices. Uh. Nolan was on that list he wanted to work with. Um, uh, Robert Eggers and Ari Aster, which oh, I'm just like that's gonna happen at some point. <laughs> you know, you don't think the guy who made Hereditary wants to do something with Cage? Yeah, you know. Uh... Imagine Cage in Midsummer. Oof, that'd be good. But um, speaking of Cage, he was a big fan of the Woody Woodpecker hair. That if you watch the film, every the more dangerous the situation becomes, the higher his hair gets. <laughs> and also the Woody Woodpecker tattoo. Yeah, sure. Mm. That's the big thing that resolves the final conflict. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, fi- the film was done in ten weeks across various locations in Arizona. Including 15 babies were used for all six of the Arizona children. And a large percentage of the crew were carried over from Blood Blood Simple. So that's why I feel you don't have as many kind of uh, stories from from behind the scenes. Because it's like, other than Cage and uh, Cobb being difficult to work with a little bit. Everyone knew everyone. Everyone knew, again, you know. Holly Hunter's living with them. Yeah. Uh, Francis McDormand is living and dating one of them at this point, I imagine. Um, so, yeah, so it seems like a very you know, simple shoot kind of thing. Uh, we shall get into the step-by-step then. Um, it opens with the first meeting between High and Ed, where she's taking his mugshot at the cu- county lockup. Yeah, he, they do it three times. Yeah. Repeat it three times. Every time the relationship grows. It's, yeah. it's just like... You're a pretty desert flower. So what do you think about the voiceover? Because that's a famous tool that gets criticised a lot. That like, if you're using a voiceover, most of the time it means you're, you have to tell the audience what's going on. Now, the more I think about it, 
I think the voiceover works probably better in feature films than a short film. I think yeah. if you're pretty much because that's if what it, we were told in college. Yeah, if you're doing voiceover in a short film, then you're it's pr- like you're probably lo- you've already lost. That's me. that's not a good sign. But um, here I think it depends on like why they're using it and like what the overall message of the film is. It pretty much round comes across by like a is a poem or a, a yeah by the end bit of a soliloquy like, oh, yeah, by the soliloquy end yeah where it like it rounds it up before the title sequence yeah also if it's the right actor doing it that fits it. if it's it was one of those films where it's like they get in an actor who's like not on screen ever and it's just yeah. like you know like I've seen movies where it's like Steve Martin's narrating and then. He doesn't turn up until the very end when it's just like it's revealed. Oh, he's the voice of the dog that's never spoken this entire movie. Uh, you know, but or, well, um, they do that at the in the Big Lebowski. They use a at the start of the film. Then your man shows up at the end with the cowboy hat on. Yeah, oh, Sam, L. Sam yeah. Elliott. Yeah, he's not. He's he's not a cowboy. He's an actor. Well, he dressed as a cowboy in the film. Uh, oh no, that's uh, yeah. ref- the Jane Campion reference. Oh though. right, yeah. my bad. Yeah, uh, I yeah. I worked a ten hour shift today. So oh, don't worry, right. don't worry. It's fa- it's fairly recent, but um, yeah, no, I don't mind a I don't mind a good uh, voiceover when it's like it's like this, and also when it's not overstated. Sometimes a voiceover will just be like doing so much. As long as they're not tell explaining what we're seeing. Absolutely. Does, yeah. Does or, the job. Or it's not just kind of one of those things where it's like they get like they they pile on kind of comparisons and references and just like, oh, he's about to unleash the fury of yeah. a thousand dusty nights or black and white shit, you know? Yeah. But uh, that kind of thing when it's not over the top, but um, it works here. We get we see their first meeting at the county lockup. Um, we get the first. Don't forget to do the something, Ed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then High goes into prison. He gets out because he didn't use live ammo. He goes back in because he can't find anything other than robbing yeah. to survive Which on the. Is a very common thing. Yeah. To, so, you know. and there is an element of that. You know, it's very much. And obviously, he, that's a part of the, one of the big debates of the film. We see it go back and forth. Hmm. Uh. Uh. He very. You know. So he goes back in. Uh, he hasn't, he gets his uh, photo taken by Ed again, this time her fiancé's just left him, left her, so, uh, uh, is like, I'll kill him, (laughs) just threatening him, um, and so he goes in, he then gets out again, because again, he didn't use live ammo, just like, are you telling us you're gonna go straight, yes, that's what you said the last time, but you didn't use live ammo, so we're gonna let you go anyway. (laughs) Um, you gotta follow. They're the rules. They set the rules. <laughs> and then one more time, he gets caught and he goes back in and um, he kind of proposes to he proposes to Ed on the third one. He then gets out of prison and then straight up just goes to him and is like, "Will you marry me again?" Yeah. Uh, uh, and then we get one of my favorite uh, jokes in it, where it's like it's her wedding day and he's she has the dress on and then the voice from the station in the background goes. Don't forget to uh don't forget the veil. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's that kind of ooh. uh no worries. Um but anyway, so essentially uh so he gets out uh and they get married and he tries to go straight. He gets a job. Yeah, starts working 9 to 5. 
Nine to five at, at, at a machine factory. Yeah, steel. Factory. Yes, at a steel factory. Yeah. But um, and so essentially, he. But again, he's 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 kind of also struggling, to an extent, to kind of stay straight. Yeah, which that that uh, that buzz of stealing shit is a uh, he's got a, he's he's a kleptomaniac essentially. Yeah. Uh... And it do, it isn't helped when uh, Ed starts to want a child. So despite the fact that they keep trying, uh, she eventually gets told that she's barren. And that's where the the, the conflict conflict arises from. Because yes. as an ex-con with three prison sentences under his belt, it's going to be very, very hard for them to adopt. But she was a cop, so it balances itself yeah, out. Yeah, it balances itself out. <laughs> But uh, unfortunately, it's a no-go from everywhere, and it causes her to become so depressed that she ultimately quits the force. Yeah, and then the next day they see an the ad ad for a guy who had oh five well no babies. it's it's a, it's a news it's oh, a news yeah who ad. had six kids six six kids my, my sec sec sectuplets or sect y- yeah and uh, then they seen them talk about them on TV yes. And that leads to... You know, Na- Errol Nathan Arizona. Uh, <laughs> such a great sort of sleazy business type, you know. Yeah, he has... Yeah. It's such an American thing that, like, you name yourself after the state you live in. Yes. Hi, my name is John Texas. John, John Galway. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be Sean Galway. Yeah, Sean. Yeah, it wouldn't yeah. shock me if some politician yeah. tried that around here, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> Dublin, we don't have that. We just have mattress make. Ma- Ma- mattress uh, Mick who is just a, in fairness that is as Dublin as it goes yeah but, um, fair. I never thought I'd be uh, mentioning Mattress Mick on the podcast I mean, but here we are here we are you got, yeah anything's yeah. possible these days absolutely but um, now essentially uh, and so obviously things are looking bleak and they see this and they're just like well now that's more kids than they can handle, you know. Because you know, father is, even jokingly mentions that we can't handle them all. Yeah, it's halfway between like a normal child and a uh, a poo from The Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> oh um, no! Oh oh oh! So oh, and they no. all turn out to be lads too, which I thought yeah. was a bit uh, f- well enough. Yeah, it was just like funny that they're all. But group the, the, they were all lads and there was not one. I think that was between. I think that was one of those jokes that's designed to kind of be a wink and a nod, like, oh god, that poor mother. Yeah, <laughs> well, you see a joke seven, later on in the film when they seven men the in the house. <laughs> <laughs> She's like Snow White. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but um, uh, and so they're like, let's steal one essentially. But um yeah and obviously they see it, and then, and yeah I just really like how the direction they go with uh, Arizona Senior's character in this because from the outset, he comes across as like, a bit of a sleazy con type. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Big vibes of like the rich Texan from The Simpsons. And he'd give you. He'd probably. He probably like treats all his workers like shit and. Yeah. Uh, you know, give, gives him gives him a twenty minute lunch break instead of half an hour. Yeah, uh, so yeah, Nicholas Cage obviously breaks into the house and uh, with a big ladder, yeah. like 
I love you see in like modern films now when someone's trying to break into a house, it's very much you've got all the sort of the the generic spy movie type, you know, the dun 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 yeah, type thing. And in the end you probably will get in a house with a ladder. Yeah, it's a it's a big ladder, no one has to fiddle around with an alarm. Just put it off and turn it off show up at two o'clock, who like who's around to notice. Yeah, him. and the windows open and all. So when he gets into the room and he sees all the babies lined out and he starts messing trying picking them up and basically they all get dispersed. Yeah. Do you think he actually picks up the wrong child and is he does so he picks up a baby that he thinks that he thinks is Nathan Junior, but do you actually think he picked up Nathan Junior? Well, that? no. Let's let's see. They, they all had all the children had, had names. Names. There yeah. was there was Harry, Barry, Larry, Gary, Gary. Yes, Harry, Barry, Harry, Barry, Gary, Larry, and then Nathan Junior. Nathan Junior. <laughs> Nathan Junior. Um and Carrie. That was a yeah. Carrie that was Grant. Carrie Grant. Yeah, I I it do love I do love that it's very kind of Finding Nemo where it's just like let's name one half the Marlin Junior and this half Coral Junior. <laughs> I like it, Nemo. And then it was it was just I just when I was watching I was just thinking oh yeah he could have easily picked up what he thought was one kid but it turned out it was the other yeah. kid and they never he, bring that up later poor, on so poor old Harry. Yeah, but um. Now, and also, I do love the idea that there was just a day on set where a young Nick Cage just had to do the scene where it's just like a bunch of babies are crawling around on him, you know? <laughs> There's something extremely wholesome about that I that uh, thought. But, um... And he and he's, he's just doing the accent, they're crawling all over me. Yeah, yeah. I don't uh, know why my Nick Cage voice he, sounded a bit Bill Clinton there. Uh... So yeah, uh, yeah, uh, and but it's like he gets freaked out. He hears the mother coming back up, so he puts them all back. He gets out, goes to the car. I couldn't do it, honey. Yeah, and she's like, "Get back up there and get me a baby. I need an. I need one." Yeah. Uh, so he get he goes back up and he takes Nathan Junior, um, and. Yeah, and so they run, they they bring him home, and then there's that really great, awkward comedy of, like, they have him home now. What do we do? <laughs> you know, he's just kind of there, sat on the couch with them, and just like, we're a family now. And he's trying to take a picture, and she's trying to, like, talk so, to him about how mm, we made it, this is it. We're you're, gonna you're, stealing, you're stealing days are over. Yeah, and then he's just trying to ignore her by looking directly at the camera, <laughs> and the baby has no idea what is going on. Mm. Uh... But, um, yeah, and so essentially it's, and then essentially the next shot is the next day, essentially, where we get a straight up tribute to an Evil Dead camera shot. Uh, is that, that's when he breaks out of the sewage? No, no, no that's, uh. I, I haven't seen Evil Dead, I apologize. No, it's where. Take me out right now. It's where the, um, essentially the camera zooms through and up the ladder and into the bedroom. Oh, right. right. Yeah. And that's how the mother finds yes, out. Yes. So, it, you know, it goes, the camera moves like that. That's taken out of Evil Dead because that's how, that was one of the methods they used to get around the fact that when they made the first Evil Dead movie, they had fuck all money. So they just put, like, they just put a, the camera on a on rope and just, like, pushed it down. And sure that's yeah. the, that's the first scene with the 
villain of the f- film, the biker, because he yeah. has a dream of him coming to town. And Absolutely. It comes out and you, it sort of comes out of nowhere and you're like, what the fuck is this? Who the fuck is this? Mm. And it almost feels like, is this real or not? Yeah. But, um, yeah, and so... And so, and obviously then the media circus starts to form because obviously this rich guy has had his baby stolen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, what was it? Oh, here we are in the notes. Uh, they, the, the missing baby causes a media circus. Nathan Arizona Sr. offers $10,000 for the baby's return and not only enlists police... Who antag- who antagonize him, or who agitate him because of their questions? But he also then hires a very ruthless biker. L- uh, or later on, but later uh, on, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's not the first we meet of him. Uh, uh, and then afterwards, we essentially, you know, we're dealing with hardened criminals here. I'm pretty sure it's the line. And then the next shot is a uh, John Goodman's hand coming out from yeah, the mud. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking of. And they escape via the shitter. The shit our pipes. Yeah, I wonder if that... How much did that inspire a Shawshank Redemption, considering that came out in 94? Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that, that's one of those scenes where you're like, now I, I understand why we pay actors so much money. Yeah, how much just fucking like, pulled out, just, by, the, pulled out say, by the leg? The Northman, I seen it last week. Uh, oh, it's so good. Everyone in that movie deserves a million dollars, million dollars oh, concerned that, this shit. That, that, that movie through. made me feel cold. Oh, that movie makes you want to fucking... Uh, oh. That movie makes you... Glad we live in modern times. Yes. I'm, I'm glad I'm not in a Viking. I'm, I'm a, I watched that and just was just like, this makes 300 and Gladiator look like fucking pussies. <laughs> <laughs> fucking does like... Uh, but, um... Yeah, and so the snouts have escaped from prison, and uh, they decide, let's crash on High's couch, uh, which Ed isn't a fan of, because she wants High to go straight, and these guys are bad news. And obviously, she, well, presumably because she's an ex-cop, she has yes that moral compass yeah. deep inside of her, some, even if it is buried by trauma. Also, it does kind of show that these guys aren't particularly intelligent, yeah. Because they're uh, like, hey, let's stay with our friend who's married to the ex-cop. Uh, you know? Uh, although I didn't know, I wonder who wears the pants in this family. Ha. Yeah. Uh, uh, you can just tell, like, with most of, like, the Coen Brothers movies, John Goodman really likes being in them because they act, they manage to really write him well. Because <laughs> I think it just always kind of shows that sort of... This shows like the more suspect side of John Goodman, as opposed to kind of the films we know him as, where it's just like, we know him as Sully to an extent. It was just kind of like that nicest form of a John Goodman character you or, can find. Yeah, or he, or he is in the, he, the Borrowers, wasn't he? Yeah, he was made. Yeah. He was in yeah. The Borrowers, and so that would have been a movie we probably would have seen a lot growing up. Or, he voices Baloo in Jungle Book 2. Uh, and he's all, at the end of The Artist. He's a movie executive and the artist. Yeah. I think he's the person who says the first line at the end. Yeah. Uh, but he's in he's in a really good Joe Dante film from like the early 90s called Matinee. All right, yeah. Where he essentially plays a f- businessman who go- who's essentially sells like shitty B-movies and like, you know, the old 
shitty B-movies where it's, like, the special effects in the cinema with you. So it's, like, if they're going through, like, a room full of smoke, they'll have a smoke machine and it'll go through. And it's pretty much kind of like a horror film based on that. It's really good, but it has that kind of uh, huckster, you know... Well, who's the name of the guy who uh, talks Springfield into making the monorail and hooks them over? Very oh, yeah. much that, you know. He's he's uh he sold these to uh North Haverbrook, Shelbyville and uh so and so and that put them on the map. What's it? Uh and then he's in the, he plays a reincarnation of the devil in the other Conan Brothers movie. Burton Frink. Yeah. Yeah, Frink. yeah. Well, he's pretty much the devil by the end, isn't he? Because yeah. he's in the ring of fire and yeah. stuff. Yeah, like I said, the Cohen brothers yeah. probably have the best handle on how to cast John Goodman in really yeah. good roles. That like, you yeah, wouldn't you didn't kind see him, of take. King of, in Big Lebowski, he's unhinged, but they also give him that vulnerability where he can. He plays. Be, he plays cinema's drive. first Alex Jones listener. Pretty yeah, that's a that's yeah. a good way to put it. This yeah. Norm. He plays bowling. There are rules. This isn't norm. <laughs> that's paraphrasing. I didn't get it right, but I'm not fair off. Oh. So. But, um, yeah, they show up at the house. Uh, Ed isn't too happy. She is just like, you can sleep here tonight. Um, try, they try to get into the swing of normal life. So, Hi and Ed go to visit, uh, Glenn, who is the supervisor at, uh, Hi's work. And Glenn's wife, Dot, who is, uh, Frances McDormand just having a lot of fun with this chatty. She essentially plays, like, the kind of woman who would be a pain in the arse if, you know, she's a regular at her hair salon. Yeah. You know? And they also have five kids running around. Yeah. Uh, that they all turned out to have adopted? I think. I, I, yeah. yeah, it's adopted. Uh, because, yeah, cause they, but they just explained that it took them years to get to uh, pick them up. Yeah. So. But, uh, which, uh, I, which just kind of is just like, yeah, no, that is fully designed just to piss uh, high and Ed off and the fact that hey you guys got so many adoptions yeah yeah and then obviously the first thing interaction we see with him with uh high is him acting racist by making a joke about uh polish, polish people. people yeah he does not like the polish people yeah and uh no. that uh, then he then he and uh high have a chat and he suggests to swing with each other <laughs> Yeah, turns out Glenn and Dot are swingers. And the thing is, I like that, it, you know, he really does try, I really does try to tolerate and be a grown-up adult as Ed wants him to. You know, because Glenn has a shitty, obnoxious attitude. He's racist against Polish people. I think he uses the N-word. I think he might, yeah. yeah. No, he doesn't go hard hour, but he does use it. Yeah, but... Uh, um. And then obviously you get you know, he he mentions swingers and he makes quite a rude remark about Ed. Yeah, yeah. So essentially that's when he punches Glenn right yeah, in the face. Yeah, he's a Will Smith. <sighs> no, no, that's a slap. Keep my wife's keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. <sighs> keep so, it out your fucking mouth. Yeah, that's and, that's just the part where he snaps and yeah. he just wants to. He doesn't want it, this whole suburban life. No, no. Like, Ed yeah. Ed punches Glenn and gets a 10-year ban from the Academy Awards. Uh, I mean, fired. 
Oh well, he's pretty. He's pretty sure he's going to get fired because not only does he hit Ed, uh, no, he doesn't hit Ed. Oh my god, he hits Glenn. <laughs> there's no, there's no domestic yeah, assault in this no movie. Dom- no domestic assault. He uh, hits Glenn and then Glenn runs away, and because Glenn is a dumbass, he trips and falls into a shit ton of cactuses. <laughs> Which I imagine Ooh. happens a lot in Arizona, you know, yeah. like yeah. What, like what percentage of hospital cases is human on cactus accidents, <sighs> cactusants. Very... Yes, thank you. Finally, uh. took me forty eight episodes. I finally got a round of applause on this fucking show. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Ed is furious at High for throwing away his job, and you know. Because he doesn't explain, really, why he hit him. He doesn't be like, yeah. he wanted to fuck you, essentially. He was just like, I did what a man had to do. He's like, oh, oh, a big man. Yeah. A big like, man. Yeah, like, there's a... It's... There's a layer of toxic masculinity that this movie kind of pokes at. To an extent. Yeah, the idea of, like, uh, that they are willing to stay criminals, even though they keep... Uh, yeah, it's they keep getting pride, yeah. chances, pride, and uh, the father figure is he. Ju- he just wants his son back because mm. of the idea that like you yeah. took my son. He's my he like he can't even think of his name half the time. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. There's a level of kind of male like what like male, what's the term expectation? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, and also while all this is going on. Uh, he do- Nathan Arizona Senior hires Leonard Smalls, who is the villain that High sees in his dream, who is straight out of a Mad Max movie. And yeah, he's, they he's don't just even like, hide the fact that he's yeah, no, he murders bunnies. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like he's uh, a nasty piece of work. Nasty, nasty piece of work. Um, I'm pretty sure the guy who play him plays him as dead now unfortunately oh, but he does a really good job also i think the guy who plays arizona senior it doesn't make it to 90 oh. uh, 1990 like he dies about two years after this oh uh well, quite unfortunate forever on film absolutely but um yeah no and so essentially they need to stop off at a shop and get huggies and this leads uh, to probably high, the set pieces of the film. High steals the huggies from the petrol station. Ed realises what he's doing and drives off in anger, just pronouncing, You asshole! Yeah, he, yeah she doesn't even let yeah, him into the They car. have a domestic outside. Um, and so High then has to flee the cops and we get the big sequence of him running away from the cops running through petrol what? stations. That was that is such a fun sequence. That is that, so like, much fun. He, they pick up like, one dog follows them, then a group of dogs follow them and they just keep running after each yes. other right into a supermarket. Yeah. Uh at like that could only happen at like two o'clock in the morning. Yes. Uh, if that happened here it would just be a bunch of uh <laughs> winos. I think if if it happened in the one I work in it'd it'd be Ah, oh, finally, I have an excuse to, to go to watch this place go mm. crazy. Mm. <laughs> well, and yeah, so High gets basically chased all around town through various different shops and places, till, 
Uh, Ed comes back with the car to pick him up out of just sheer, you know, you are my husband. Yeah. And, uh... So they go home and she essentially just tells Gail and Evel, get the fuck out in the morning, first thing. And, you know? Yeah, they they didn't pitch him the the big idea to rob the bank. Yeah. Well, that was a- that's after during the night. He talks yeah, 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 during them. the night, yeah. Uh, and he talked about his failings, and they offer him a spot at the bank job, uh, and kind of they convince they they are basically the devil on his shoulders to to an extent, uh, telling him, "Look, this is the best way you can provide for your family." Preying on his insecurities, high agrees because he thinks, "Well, Ed and Nate Junior are gonna be would be better off without me." So what's so what's the other actor that's with John Goodman in? He's in a lot of stuff as well. Uh, what's his name? William Forsyth. He Forsyth. Yeah. I can't. Forsyth. I think is he in back? He's not in Back to the Future. Is I'll like wanna... look him up now. Thank God for IMDb. Oh, yeah. Um. I, he he looks very. He familiar. was in. He was in the Devil's Rejects. He was in Dick Tracy. Um. I think. Uh... Let's see. Ah, oh, he's 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 one. He was in the Rock. I'm not entirely sure. Doesn't doesn't stand out as someone who does a lot in that movie. Um, maybe he just had, he's one of those that guy faces. Yeah, that guy faces. Um, he was flat top in Dick Tracy. He oh, yeah. was. He was in this. What else was he in? He was in Once Upon a Time in America. Oh, that's where I know him cock-eye. from. He plays, he plays one of Robert De Niro's friends. Yeah, that's where I recognize yeah, him. Yeah, he played Cockeye. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, not, not to be mistaken with Popeye. Yeah, he, he because if you, if you watch a film, a Sergio Leone film, he a big trait of his is to stick on the face, stick on a face, and he his face just looked familiar. Yeah. yeah. That makes that makes a lot more sense. Mm. That's why I recognize him. Uh, yeah, he says he's in the King of Queens and A League of Their Own. Yeah. Holiday engagement. The mo- uh, the movie. Not, National not... Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Oh, classic. Um, but yeah, and so he agrees, and this is the high essentially just thinking I need to leave and be out of these people's lives. They're better off without me. Uh, Very much the insecure insecure man type you know yeah again you could say this film is a statement about masculinity in that sense um, um but glenn turns up the next day you know sell, selling his injuries um neck brace big plaster on his nose um tries to blackmail high by telling him i know whose baby that is you give it to me and dot, or I will bring the cops into this. Yeah, he he he's like I want to take that child and raise it my own instead of doing the right thing too. So he's just as he's just as bad as you think he is. Uh, he is. I also, Panis like doesn't understand his. He's already got five kids. <laughs> Why do you want another? You know, you gotta. They they all will help pay the pay the retirement bill. True. All um. Because of the commotion, Gail and Evel have also now learned that the baby belongs to uh, Nathan, Arizona. So they steal it. 
And they knock Hyde out and they tie him up and then they take the baby with them. Yeah. Ed then gets home, uh, unties High, and they go chasing after him, after the snout. And Ed admits that uh, taking Nathan Jr. was a mistake. And once they bring him back to his family, she really isn't sure where the marriage is going to go. And they, and this is obviously the scene where she acknowledges that her part to play in the fact that she told him to go back in it and not to come back without a baby. So, like, her own insecurities about not being a mother and not achieving the dream of that, uh, she finally realises the, yeah, the, the problem with that. She uh, has... She has caused him to go back to what she really wanted him not to do. Yeah. And it's so just... she doesn't... So again, they don't know how the relationship is going to work when they've hurt one another that the way they have. Yeah, uh... And the fact that she can't trust him to go straight and she can't kind of trust herself not to make him go back that way. Because in the end, there's probably a part of that relationship that she did see attractive in him the fact that he is a criminal bad yeah. boy. Especially uh, she is the other on the other side of the coin, uh, law enforcement, all good. Yeah, uh, opposites attract. Damn right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and so they're unsure about their marriage. It's going to... They, they could potentially be splitting up now. She gets back into her uniform after uh, retiring, which yeah. is uh, symbolic. Mm. And, which also, which is also, oh, but it, it also just kind of looks cool. Yeah, it does, yeah. She yeah. Uh, Gail and Evel become very fond of Nathan Jr. after they <clears> kidnap <throat> him. We promise we're never going to leave you. And then they leave him behind twice. Once at the gas station. So, in that scene, do you think they left him on the roof and he fell off the roof? Or... I think they just left. I think they may have just left him in the shop. To be honest, because obviously they find him on the road and they they go back and they head towards him and they they don't nearly hit him but they come close. Mm. Very very similar to an old story my mom used to tell me about the time my grandmother left her in the buggy outside of Cleary's one day and went home. And I think that's just a sign of how much Dublin has changed since, like, the early 1960s. You can leave a baby in a pram outside Cleary's on O'Connell Street, go all the way to fucking Ring's End, realise you've left the child back in the city centre, and then go all the way back again. Uh... And the kid's still not gone forever. <laughs> oh, you God, I don't know, know what would happen these days. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, fucking hell, I don't, I can't, I can't leave my, I can't, like, lose sight of my niece or nephew in Smith's without, without suddenly re- thinking, oh no, they're gonna make the Madeleine McCann-style Netflix documentary about this. <laughs> uh, what I was gonna say about, no, yeah, I was just wondering, when I was watching it yesterday, like, if he was on top, and if he, they drove, and he flipped, and it just, it was a clean land where, it, like, yeah. hit the ground, but... I think uh, the, that's the, the bottom hit the ground, so like obviously the baby was unharmed, like, yeah. Headwise, yeah. That, like, uh, like how fucking lucky that would be. Yeah, that's the that's the comedic element of it. Yeah. It's the fact that oh no, because you leave something on the top, you know, you automatically think, oh shit, it's like that time I left my coffee cup on top of the roof, and uh, yo, know, and think, the windscreen think, wiper had a job cleaning it up. I think uh, about. Uh, 15 years ago my 
mother left a birthday cake on top of a car and they drove off and they just came home and they realised they were missing it and they don't know what happened to it. Uh, yeah. I never, never found out, really. You just, bring, you just bring the birthday person out to the car. Happy birthday <laughs> to you. Uh, but, um, yeah, so if, so if there's a moral to this movie, folks, it's always be careful what you leave on the roof of your car. Pretty much. Um, but obviously they forget him twice. First time is at the shop and then the next time they leave him at the bank, they've just robbed. And Despite the fact that just like, we're never going to leave you. And then that works out for the baby because there is a bomb planted in the money that the... the ba- yeah, it's that blue, it's that that blue ink up. stuff. Yeah, so it blows up and they get covered in ink and they nearly crash the car. Mm. And that's where uh, High and Ed... Uh, meet them and move on mm. but uh, Smalls has since gotten hand hold of the baby yeah and that's when we get the finale action scene of High just fighting him yeah Miami Vice versus Mad Max the yes. crossover we didn't know we wanted yes um, I am pretty sure that crossover is actually just Nightboat <laughs> yeah Nightboat the crime fi- solving boat there's always a canal or fjord. <laughs> uh, oh, I love the way Homer says that. Just like, night boat. The crime solving boat. As if there's like an op that show about a boat that causes crime. Uh, but, um... So, yeah, we get the big fight. Yeah, uh, and it, it and obviously, in true Indiana Jones fashion, how he gets his ass kicked for 90% of it. Mixed with a South Western, because there's a lot of... Uh, side shots yeah with guns and uh yeah he he gives him a proper fight and, yeah uh, and then it and then it blows up in his face literally because he has so many did, grenades does that on count him. as murder that the fact that he pulled the pin on the grenade or did he do self-defense so self-defense but also it was your man's own weapon so yeah like he brought it upon himself yeah like like could you like what like could you won a lawsuit if you're just like oh no the pin on my grenade that I'm carrying on the outside of my jacket like caught on a doorknob or something uh, yeah would you watch a spin-off prequel series with him uh, running around Arizona solving crimes killing going after people Leonard Smalls yeah I'd watch a show about um the snouts oh there well ring mm-hmm. Netflix Ten, yeah. 10 part series on the way. Yeah, the snouts, uh, the snouts, but in their old age. Shawshank Redemption. Oh. Uh, they get released again. Mm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and so they return Nathan Jr. back to his family, and they explain to Nathan Sr., you know, we didn't want to hurt him, we just didn't, we just couldn't have one of our own, and we thought you had more than you could handle. Uh, yeah. What do you think of Nick Cage's performance in this in general? Uh, yeah, it's very, it's a mix of, what, like, your every man, every day, every man hero mixed with that quirkiness that we come to expect from Nicholas Cage. It's one of Cage's most overtly stoner performances. Yeah, yeah, it's like, you could tell, this is like a guy who you wouldn't know around town, but he just fucking looks like, happens to look like, uh, a, a, famous person yeah or, well 
Do what? Yeah. What do you think? Does Nick Cage have a certain look to him, or is he more like? He he definitely has a certain look to him. Like he, I his mean, face especially works on especially camera. in this one. Yeah. Um... Is uh. I guess yeah yeah I guess he he he's playing an everyman but doesn't look like an everyman. I guess yeah. if he's seen a guy looking like Nick Nick Cage walking around town, he, he looks like, slight. He out. looks slightly odd, but he also looks like he could be someone's dad. Yeah, yeah. He has yeah. that Bruce Willis thing if he looks like someone's dad. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, he he's he's enjoyable a lot, very enjoyable in this because he is playing. The, yeah, it's like that quirky redneck that we all yeah. sort of think we we all know. Not we all know someone like that, but mm. we could all he, have an idea of someone like he that. He looks. He always comes across like a little bit of like. An alternate universe variant of Keanu Reeves to an extent. <laughs> From like 20 years before Keanu was. Keanu. Or just kind of like, you know, another you know, universe's interpretation of what Keanu is. That kind of weird eccentric magic to it. Yeah. Uh, That's a team up movie where I'm like, why have we never gotten that? Cage and Keanu. We had a cameo from Schwarzenegger at the end. <laughs> Oh no no don't don't no that's that's giving too much weight. Just make it you know them two, like uh, buddy cops. And they, yeah. Uh, you need to chill yeah, he's out, man. He's definitely, uh, pretty. Yeah, he's pretty good in this. Yeah. Overall, yeah, uh, and so is Holly Hunter. She, mm. uh, she has a very such a strong, unique voice to mm. her. I don't know what type of accent it is. It it's definitely su- it's definitely southern. But uh you can uh I'm gonna they, say they work they bounce well off each other. I'm gonna say kind of Kentucky because um mainly just because the character she played in uh Dawn of Justice was a uh, from oh, was, yeah, was yeah. a was a Democratic senator from Kentucky. Wow, that's the least realistic thing in this movie that features Batman, Superman, and multiple Justice League members. Uh, so is this one of your? Yeah, this is one of more of your favorite Nicolas Cage films. Ah, uh, uh, it's hard to say because that run in the nineties of action movies with like Con Air, Con, and... the Holy Trinity of Con Air, The Rock, and Face Off. It's I is Face Off when. Someone puts another face on the other Face person. off is John Nick Cage and John Travolta yeah. putting each other's faces on oh. themselves and it, it's gloriously like, bonkers. Yeah, so I haven't seen it, but it's just it's one of those films that on the internet that they're always someone will always try and reference once a week. Yes. And uh they I mean obviously it it gets referenced in massive ways. But that's because like massive talent because so much of Cage's filmography gets referenced. No, yeah, of course. Yeah, like you, like that's not a spoiler. They give it away in the trailer. The, the, the fucking statue of him and the two golden guns. That you know, it's like it's grotesque. I'll give you twenty thousand for it. That statue is him in Face Off with two golden guns. <laughs> but it's him. But it's him with. But it's John Travolta with Nick Cage's face on it. So the hook of the film is. Nick Cage, John Travolta is acting like Nick Cage, and Nick Cage is acting like John Travolta. <sighs> so, so it's so John Travolta is being weird, but he's playing the character that is Nick Cage's character. So Nick Cage is playing 
is playing the hero and the villain at the same time. So it's, I, okay, uh, yeah. Guys, uh, you can't see it, but I'm starting to develop a little bit of a nosebleed trying to describe that. Uh, yeah, I think I'm... I think I figured it out. Yeah. Uh, I'll have and, to... and it's a John Woo movie, so there's doves. Oh. <laughs> uh... Doves in slow-mo. But, um, so yeah, so they go and, uh... They tell Nathan Senior their reasoning and he not only forgives them, you know, you didn't hurt my boy, that type of thing. So I'm going to let you off the and hook. he probably in the end is happy not to pay 25 grand. Yeah. Or 10 grand. And also... Oh, no, no, it was, it was 10... I think it was my... 10... Th- oh, maybe you increased it. Or yeah, I think point, he increases but... it later Yeah. On. And also the fact he wasn't happy with Smalls. Just because uh, yeah. it's just like, yeah, this guy feels off. Yeah, uh... But, uh... And so we end up getting a, a scene where he's just like, uh, actually, me and my wife, I think we're going to split up. And uh, Arizona him, just tells him, sleep on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sleep on and it. And that leads to the, the final... The final sequence. Dream. Where yeah. it's the prophetic dreams. Uh, where we see um, Gail and Evel... They go back to prison because they realize, you know, they can't live on the outside world without the need to steal. And uh, yeah, they go back down into the hole. Mm, they do. Pretty uh, obvious. Yeah, <laughs> I've always it's just like, did did y'all not like cover that hole up? That that feels like it could be dangerous. Uh, it's a dangerous mud hole. Um. Glenn gets what's coming to him. He gets ticketed by a cop. And it's just like, I think it was one Polak joke too many. You see the clip and the guy said, Officer Kowalski. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which always insi- which always insinuates, oh, he got the shit kicked out of him. Uh, I mean, I hope that's what happened because he's, well, it, it, he's it awful. Is a, it is a cop, so they probably kicked shit into him and didn't uh, send him to jail. But did he not get in trouble? Glenn's white. Um... The fact that I did that without even looking at you. <laughs> oh. uh, uh, so he gets what's coming to him. Nathan Jr. grows up to be a big football star because one Christmas he got a football from a mysterious couple. Uh, which is implied that it's him and Ed. You know. I, yeah, um, I can't imagine who else. <laughs> yeah. I do, I do love the idea of just like, yeah, the one reason why he's a football star is we bought him a football for... Uh... That, that's, that is a nice, I guess, cinematic idea. Yeah. Storytelling-wise, that, like, this one thing leads to a bigger, better life, and it's... Yeah. I, I guess it adds to the team of the final uh, montage yeah. dream, where it's like, I but it, but know, it don't lose hope. Yeah, but it does come across, like, I'd love a version of it where it's like, the guy becomes a big Premier League player, and it's just like a flashback of him getting a match attack sticker. <laughs> that, that would be almost better than a football, to be honest, yeah. <laughs> or like, if it was a baseball st- or star, and he got a baseball oh, the card. Ba- yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I, I couldn't think of any other, you know, he gets some Sabutios. Well, I was just thinking he had a baseball card that's worth a lot of money and mm. he didn't realise it and he turns out to be, gets even richer. Mm. Uh, the football equivalent would be he finds like a 2006 World Cup sticker album in mint condition. Yeah. Uh, oh. So yeah, then it's sort of this montage that sort of makes it end with like the idea of... Uh, that they, they stuck it out together and they got that, through it. You yeah, know? that bittersweet happy ending. 
Uh, a bit like Fergal. They, yeah, they grow old and they have kids and grandchildren. And we don't see, we can't tell if it even happens, really. It's just that optimistic, like, if we stick together, this could still happen in the end. Yeah, you know? and that's Because a, a lot of couples are like, oh, they're told, oh, you're barren or whatnot. They end up having, you know, sometimes no, they yeah, do get miracles, lot. you know. Uh, yeah, and it, that's part of the Conan Brothers, a lot of the Conan Brothers sort of films, but uh, they, yeah, they, they, they also have their more pessimistic yeah. endings mm. like No Country for Old Men and A Serious Man. Yes. Like this, A Serious Man is the ultimate pessimistic because it's like that film is all about the guy trying to do his life, get his life better after sh- shit hits the fan constantly and even by the end it's still, yeah. even though he thinks like he's getting away with it, more shit hit, keeps hitting the fan and then it's implied that his own son might get killed off at the end. I know, I know, it's bleak. Uh, they they there's few filmmaking filmmakers that can kind of do men in life crisis the way the Coens can yeah yeah uh, yeah and uh, just kind of you know and even though it's like I kind of focus more on the optimistic side like my top three of all films were like reasonably happy endings uh, uh I still do kind of I do admire them for that element of their work yeah they have the yeah system. yeah their comedy can be their comedy can be hit and miss though sometimes like i love this i love lebowski burn after reading not so much that's the most iconic scene that is in the closet yeah it's the the one scene i can remember is like you know brad pitt with like the weird dancing yeah yeah Yeah. oh yeah it's very dry so you just have to probably just have to be in a bit of a mood for it and Maybe have this a bit feels of less dirt. dry though. No, no, yeah, this feels more like over the top, especially yeah. with the main villain of the mm. film. Like, yeah, you're meant to be like, what the, what the hell is going on? Mm. Uh, but um, so yeah, so that's the end of the film, step by step. Let's get into some post production. All right, then this was released on March thirteenth in nineteen eighty seven in the U.S. Limited. Back then, you know, you'd have limited, and then they'd go wide a little yeah, later yeah. on. I'm they, pretty sure this didn't go wide until like the seventeenth of April. So it's like literally, I've had to, because I did I had to do some digging on this, and I ended up having to scratch out April seventeenth and write in March thirteenth. UK and Ireland, we didn't get it until July tenth. All right. Yeah. Uh, had a budget of guess how much? Oh, uh, I think it was around eight million. Six. Six. Yeah. Which so, is yeah, good for six million. I looked it up. Yeah. I looked it up before, cause I, on Wikipedia, uh, cause I was trying to do my own, fre- keep fresh on it. Yeah, mm. cause yeah, yeah. So that was their. They got an extra a lot more money than, their last film to mm. balance it out to, yeah. uh, to show they've got mm. more. Uh, and yeah, you can see the money is Absolutely. well spent throughout yeah. all throughout it. Uh, opening weekend domestically, cause I couldn't get like any other real oh. box office numbers. Yeah. Thirty six thousand two hundred and forty quid. Which is which is decent, yeah. you know. Uh, for limited release, yeah. presumably, yeah, that's yeah, because and also like, I'm pretty sure at this point in time, like it, like it got nowhere near the top, top of the box office that weekend. Oh, sh- yeah. Sure. Like Probably. the, like the top three opening weekend for it was a, uh, Lethal Weapon, Platoon, and Nightmare on Elm Street three. Yeah. So. So you've literally got. An all-time great action movie, the best picture winner, 
for either that year or the following year. And then the one of the biggest horror franchises. The the best Nightmare on Elm Street film, as far as I'm concerned. There you go. Part three, yeah. Um, overall gross domestically, it made twenty two point eight million domestic. And six point three million internationally. So overall, globally, it got two hundred twenty nine point one million. Ah, yeah. So so it, just it, shy of thirty million on a six million budget. That's good. That's yeah. It's pretty pretty good. And that is a genuine hit at that point in time. That that's that's when you know how successful movies can be when they make when something is let's say yeah. less than ten million and it makes. 30, 40 million. Yeah, like, like if you make a movie for 6 million, well. you've got to make 12 million to break, yeah, break even. even. Because once you, cause that's just covering the cost to make it. Yeah. And then you got to make double what it costs to make so you can break even. And then that's why all the like Marvel movies and shit have to hit like a billion because At this they point, have yeah. to spend all the money on making the movie. They have to spend all the, another 200 million advertising the movie. Yes. And that breaks out at four hundred million, mm. and then they gotta make eight hundred million to break even. Of course, and uh, yeah. that's and that's why half of Disney's original movies now are just going straight to Disney Plus. Part, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, although all their, uh, although thankfully most of them are some of their more questionable ideas. Well, like um, the cheaper way that doesn't remake, <laughs> and um, their new film, uh, Sneakerella. <laughs> Which is a Cinderella story about a kid who likes to design sneakers. Uh, which sounds that, is, that sounds like that uh, that basketball movie from the two thousand. No, um, what's it? Uh, the one little big Mike. Or like something. Mike. That's it. Like Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Because isn't that he gets sneakers from Michael Jordan? Mm. It's all about yeah, that. Yeah. The 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 lesser of Michael Jordan's movie uh, uh, dalliances. Um. It the best it charted at the U.S. box office was number seven. Really fun fact. Do you remember how I said while they were making this movie, they were living with Sam Raimi, yeah. who was making Evil Dead Two at the time. Do you know what else opened at the same weekend, March nineteen eighty seven? Evil Dead. Evil Dead Two. Evil Dead Two. Oh. Yeah. So they were working to get. They were working on it while living in the same house, and it came out the same weekend. Yeah, they must have just. Uh, mm. They probably just had a coffee at the end, at the on the Monday morning. Mm. Looked at the results and were like, "Well done, mm. well done." Uh, in fairness, I'm pretty sure Evil Dead opened one spot above this. All oh, right. But so. it, this ended up making more money than Evil Dead, <sighs> too, by a good bit. That was good probably a word of mouth film that like people didn't like it compared to the first one. Yeah, in fairness, both happy. Evil Dead ended up being like big video hits. You know. Yeah. Although a lot of people do say Evil Dead Two was better than the first one. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, they're do they they're starting like the Sam Raimi retrospective over at the palace now. Oh, because so of they're doing Strange, yeah, yeah. So they're doing pretty much all of his sort of stuff outside of the Spider Man movies and the Wizard of Oz film that he did. Yeah, yeah, because that was the last movie you met. That was ten years ago. Yeah. Fucking hell. Well, nearly ten years. Nine. Was it not 2012? It was 2013. Oh, 2013. 2013, yeah. So it's like Darkman, I think they're doing an Evil Dead marathon one of the days. That, no, yeah, that's probably something I should go see. It might be Saturday. uh, I can't can't make it because of work, but I would 
fully, you know, and I and I can't like get off it because I'm like, well, shit, it's my, literally my second last day in this yeah. job. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I have I have tickets for Evil Dead Two tomorrow night. I'm looking forward to it. Um, they they do they're showing um they're sh- showing the western he did with DiCaprio. From the nineties. Yeah. What's it called? I the don't, Quick and the Damned. Oh right, yeah, I think I heard of that. Which yeah. is kind of like. If they made a Western version of a Mortal Kombat tournament. Oh, that... <laughs> you know? That does... Now that sounds brilliant. Whack. But, um... Yeah, and it's got that pre... And it's got that, like, 95 Leo. So it's like, he, he isn't quite... He's, he's post... He's not a dream boat yet. He's post Gilbert Grape, but he's a year shy of... Uh, Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet, yeah. Uh, but, um... Yeah, so this ended up being the 49th highest grossing film domestically of 1987, which doesn't sound super impressive until you see some of the films that it beat. It beat Evil Dead 2, but more impressively, it beat um, the Dolph Lundgren Masters of the Universe movie. Fuck, yeah, which is that would have been a lot of... They they would have spent a lot of money on that. And also, well, it was Canon Films. So, oh, well, when you say spend bad. lots of money, it was Canon Films. They were allergic I, to spending lots of money. But yeah, um, I, I need to I need to brush up on my knowledge. No. Well, um, but even then, that was like that was a movie based off like the biggest toy and yeah, yeah, yeah. Time. I, I thought that was yeah, like that would have been like well iconic thing. Yeah, this would have been like you know this would have been like if imagine in a universe where like the nice guys had beaten the Angry Birds movie at the box office. That's probably the right timeline to be honest. Um, it made more money than Superman Four: The Quest for Peace. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That was oh, and it came in forty ninth, the fiftieth highest grossing movie of that year. Jaws Four: The Revenge. (laughs) Uh, yeah, Jaws Jaws 3. Revenge. Yeah. yeah, that's the one with the wife uh, going and after the shark. My, and Michael Caine, yeah, they yeah. think the shark has a personal vendetta against <laughs> yeah, his family. Yeah, because like, their f- husband is dead at that point because he, he was in Jaws 2. And, and then he didn't d- want to come back anymore. Yeah, and then Jaws 3. Jaws 3 was, d- it was 3D. in 3D and it was like, what would happen if Jaws went to SeaWorld? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, so it, so it did well to like, beat a lot of those films you know like it, like especially like even superman 4 yeah that was a piece of shit and they slashed the budget it's still superman yeah, yeah. uh and then obviously this is uh, one of those films that sets up so mm. many actors and yeah. the two main directors it has right a it developed a cult classic following because some of the initial reviews were mixed For- i think it was a case of um some critics just weren't ready for what the Coen brothers were going to be because it's like they they saw Blood Simple and they saw this and they're just like it doesn't kind of compute. Have you seen Blood Simple? I, from I've heard of what it sounds like and it does and it sounds like it's a different uh it's a pr- animal proper to crime. Yeah, yeah, like you go from like proper crime to this which is kind of like farce crime. Yeah. So uh, it's that. I I do put it down to some directors, some critics not knowing enough about what the Coens were going to be to kind of appreciate this. If this came out in 1997, oh, they would have loved it. Yeah, it'd be... they come out in two th- 2007, they would have they been gonzo for it, you know? Uh, but it came out in 1987 and, you know... Just struck too early, but... Yeah. Like, you know, 
it all equals out over time. Absolutely. It has a few very famous fans, including one uh, Edgar Wright. He says of this course. is uh, yeah, one of very... his favorite films. Yeah, you, you can you can see the ins- inspiration he would get from it. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, in so many different things. Um, what else? Uh, Matthew McConaughey says this is also the film that he's watched the most times. You know, there's a lot of it's not far off that idea. Cage is kind of doing a stoned McConaughey to an extent in this, you know, and I could kind of see like if you had to take out Cage and put in another actor, McConaughey, McConaughey for high, I could kind of see McConaughey circa dazed and confused error. Have you seen that film he released a few years ago where he's like a stoner rich guy in Miami? Beach bum. yeah, my I've heard of this. I watched like half of it, and he's yeah, he's fucking brilliant in it, and it's it's such a bonkers movie. Yeah, it's, it's Harmony Corinne, and it's just he's I, one of those filmmakers where it's just like you're kind of like, oh, do I want to watch one of his movies? Like it's he, it's like he did Spring Breakers, and that's another wild film, and he's just one of those filmmakers where it's like. Maybe a bit too wild? I don't know. Yeah, this is... Yeah, Snoop Dogg and Isla Fisher's yeah, in it. Yeah, Jesus. Uh, uh, it's some... It's it's a bit... It is a bit bonkers and mm, out there and yeah. sort of watching it. Um, there was... Alone. There was a documentary made in the last couple of years about um the baby from this movie called... I'm pretty sure it's Arizona Raised. I'm All pretty right. sure... Yeah, it's about T.J. Kuhn. Oh, I, I, I don't know how to how to pronounce this name. K-U-H-N. Yeah, yeah. T.J. Kuhn. Oh, not too, yeah. Yeah, Kuhn. So it's like literally his filmography is Raising Arizona and then Arizona Raised. He didn't do any other films after this. And then just did a... Had a documentary made about him. That's currently in post production, actually, so it hasn't come out yet. So sure, there's a there are a lot of directors, that, no, a lot of actors as kids don't get really don't move on to doing much work. Like yeah, and the, the Charlie Bucket who played in from the original Willy Wonka turned out to be a farmer. He didn't even go back into acting. Yeah, Chunk from the Goonies sells insurance now, and yeah, I am yeah. insure. And I imagine once people find out who he is, every meeting is just like. Do the shuffle, do the shuffle. I can't, I'm not fat anymore. <laughs> but, um, uh, so yeah, uh, let's just kind of break into final thoughts on the movie and then we'll do the box office game where I run down uh, US domestic and international box office for whatever year these movies are made. But if it's a year we've already covered in a different episode, I end up just doing, like, the opening weekend. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so just final thoughts. I don't have that many, personally. Um, I just have a take where I think High might be cinema's first millennial main character. Uh, I'm, I guess my only final takes is there's it's a mix of Fargo and... Uh, yeah, it's mainly like Fargo, but a bit more funnier and laid back, and uh, the uh, it's definitely it's a it's probably one of the more accessible Conan Brothers considering yes. it's ninety minutes long. Uh, it's all a bit uh, it's yeah. all a bit of comedy. It's and not as out over there. It's not as 
dra- dramatically dry. Yeah. As other so like comedies. yeah, it's it's definitely worth watching if you're ha- if you're hanging around with none to do on like a Friday night. It's a good hangout yeah. movie. It's a yeah. good movie where if you want to smoke a little something and watch something, yes. it's an easy watch. Especially if Nothing. you're in uh, uh, let's say Amsterdam or. And there's nothing you in know, it. You know, where it's legal to smoke. And there's nothing in it where it's like, that could be upsetting. No, yeah, know? there's nothing. It's not like, oh, I took the- shrooms and I watched Doctor Strange. Now I'm scared. <laughs> you know? Um, uh, but yeah, so I think High is a millennial. And this might be the first millennial movie ever made. Because it's just like his whole thing of insecurities and... Am I good enough for my family? Can I do th- something in this world other than what's wrong? Yo, am I a piece of shit, basically? Like, that's a lot of millennial angst feeling. So this is so this is cinema's first main millennial movie that I can think of. You know, especially for the 80s. Yeah, which is yeah like just when they were all grown up. Mm-hmm. Very much... Yeah, well... Nah, millennials... Maybe yeah. no millennials are before nine are born, like from like eighty nineteen eighty to like nineteen six nineteen ninety six. True, but then again, you you wouldn't kind of be making movies for millennials at this point because millennials well, are no, nine, yeah. seven yeah, years no, yeah, old. You wouldn't even realize it. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like this feels a little bit ahead of its time in terms of like what kind of main character you have. You know? Yeah. Because I don't, I because you if you had done this movie ten years earlier. I would not have been written this way. No, no he would have been yeah. way le- he would have been way more sort of manly type. Yeah, and it wouldn't uh, have worked. Alright, so what's yeah. this game? So basically, um I just kind of run through what the top box office films are for the year and I can, I kind of I I I'll do like the top 10 and I'll maybe give a hint. Sometimes it's joking, but again, I didn't have time to write look through this enough to uh write write it all down and come up with jokes um so i'll just so we'll just i'll for this time every other time next time you come on the show i'll be a bit more jokey about it but um this time uh okay we're going we're doing domestic um take a guess what's the number one film for 1987 seven uh so, it's not, it's not, it's not Back to the Future, obviously, that's on the 85. Yeah. There's no Indiana Jones movie that year. It could be a John Hughes movie, because uh, Breakfast Club was 1985, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day was 1986. Was it like Pretty in Pink? It had, no, 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 it's very, it has a comedic heavyweight of the 80s in it. Oh, uh, something like. Caddyshack? No. No, no, that was that uh, was way that was no? early eighties. Um uh, it's well, a sequel. It, it's, it's a sequel. Oh Ghostbusters two? No. No, no, that's eighty nine. Oh Blues Brothers two thousand? No. That was that was in the nine. Yeah. That was two thousand. Uh um, so yeah, I I don't know the greatest eighties. Beverly Hills Cop oh, two. Yeah. I I haven't yeah. seen those movies. I, I need to watch that's just, fit. obviously Eddie Murphy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um at number two, this ain't bowling. This is Nam. It's Platoon. Uh, oh, yeah, sure. You yeah. mentioned that earlier on, how it, uh, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That Back Charlie the, Sheen? Ba- 
uh, Charlie Sheen, Willem Dafoe. Yeah, there's yeah. a shit ton the, of people in guy, that. Penny. Yeah. At number three, don't put the bunny back in the box. Just don't boil the bunny. Uh, Fatal Attraction. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. At number uh, four, it's a movie that proves you can win an Oscar even if you give an atrocious Irish accent. Uh, terrible Irish accent in the 80s. Uh. It's someone who you would think could do better considering their nation's proximity to this nation. Oh, so a British actor? Presumably, or Scottish actor. Uh, is it like a historical epic? No. It is. I met. It was mentioned earlier on in the podcast. Oh fuck! Uh, From this year. Uh, no, I can't think. It's not like Barry Lyndon or something. Untouchables. Untouchable. Oh yeah. yes, fucking a Sean Connery. Terrible. My bad. You, awful say, I, you, you should send me to the hospital and then oh. next time I'll send you to the funeral parlor. It's <laughs> um, the Chicago way. At number five, it's I a movie. I that. It's a movie directed by Spock himself. Oh, the yeah, three three men and a baby. Yes, three men and a baby with a with the urban legend that you can see a ghost. Tom Sel Tom Selleck's in it. Yeah. Yeah, but you can see it. There's there's a theory that if you pause it at a certain point, you can see a ghost in the. A shadow ghost in the corner. All right. Or in a mirror. Um, at number six, it's a movie called The Seat. Oh, it's a se- The Secret to My Success, which was um, essentially Michael J. Fox just playing a movie version of the little shithead kid he played, teen kid he That's played in that, that movie sitcom. Where he has like a he has to, like a child prodigy he has to bring up, right? I know. I don't think, I think that. that. That's like in the ninth. That must be more nineties. Yeah. Uh, it's him. Uh, it's essentially a talented young man can't get an executive position without rising through the ranks. So he comes up with a shocker, which also benefits his love life. Oh, it's yeah. it's Michael J. Fox doing like Back. his version of Wall Street, essentially. Didn't he he got diagnosed with Parkinson's, Parkinson's in out. like the late early ni- mid nineties? It was yeah, soon, it was, it was soon after Back to the Future because well, no, because again he had he had a. He had an okay career for a little bit, yeah. and then you know he was in Mars Attacks for a yeah, bit. Yeah, Mars. Then, yeah, he. That's yeah. probably around. It's probably just after that. Mar- yeah, he gets his finger bitten off. Yeah, oh, that's that's um, a, that alien designs. At number seven, so creepy. It is. Oh, it's a movie you definitely wouldn't get. It's called Stakeout, in which two detectives observed an escaped convict's ex girlfriend, but complications set in, which for when one of them falls for. Starring Richard Dreyfus and Emilio Estevez. I really hope it's Emilio Estevez who falls for her. Ah, it has to be. He's Because, again, Dreyfus looks old in this poster. <laughs> um, at number eight, um, you got a Death Wish. Oh, Death Wish 2? Death Wish 3? No? I'm telling you, I'm getting too old for this shit. Oh, Lethal Weapon. Yes. My bad, my yes. bad. So that's at number eight. That shows you, like... Damn, this this actually was a good year. Um, number nine, Witches v. Stwick with Jack Nicholson. Witches v. Witches v. Stwick. Yeah, three oh. single women in a picturesque village have their wishes granted 
out of cast, a mysterious and flamboyant man arrives in their lives. Yes, oh, Jack that. Nicholson is that mysterious and ambitious uh, must, that flamboyant him, man. That must have given him the, got him the role for the Joker in 1989. Maybe. And at number 10, get to the chopper. Predator? Yeah. Number I ten. Really, I think it, that's a, that was rated R, so like you'd, yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, In fairness, I'll see. Like. You'd have like your you know your kids weren't going to see that. No, no, but again, also like. It's still awesome, and being in yeah. the top ten when you've got like the movies like that in there, um, yeah. that probably gained a lot more recognition after Die Hard because it was the same director. Yeah, so, like, yeah. Help, like, oh, let's go watch his other films. Of course, and now let's see what the international was. Um, oh, oh, some... number one because Sean Connery. No, no, no. It's those three dudes again. The three... Men and a baby. Three men and a baby. If this was in the 80s with, with your man, Tom Selleck, sure, he was at the height of his power. With yeah. He'd have, he'd have been a yeah. TV guy and that would have played well overseas. Um, Fatal Attraction is number two, which doesn't yeah. surprise me considering we're still living in an age where every erotic thriller is trying to be the next Fatal Attraction. Like, every year around October, there was another goddamn movie that is Fatal Attraction, but for this generation. Um, uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2 is number three. And number four, it's a movie that didn't turn up in uh, the the US at all, even though it's about a US conflict from an er- from about 20 years earlier. So, the uh, Korean War? Or- no, no, think a little after the Korean War. Oh, Bigger Cuban than... Missile Crisis. No, no, after that. It's it's a US military uh, regretful mistake of a war from the 60s. Oh, Vietnam. Vietnam, yes. Oh, v- I thought you were saying before Vietnam. No, yeah, no, but... no. It's a Vietnam movie. It's not Platoon. It's not Platoon. Uh, is it from like the... U- UK watching? No, no, American no. Movie. It's a very, it's very American. It's very American, and it has an iconic actor in it. Chuck Norris. No, no, the no the the acceptable kind of iconic. <laughs> uh, uh, it's about a time of day in sorry. Vietnam. Oh, uh, good morning, Vietnam. Oh, right, Robin. Williams. Yes, My yes, bad. My fantastic bad. little movie. Um, yeah, good at number five, um, it's the other Nick Cage film of nineteen eighty seven. No, you were talking about Moonstruck. That. Slap out of it. Snap out of it. Uh, Untouchables in number six. Oh, there it is. Secret to My Success in number seven. Stakeout in number eight. Le- Little Weapon in number nine. Which is Eastwick at number eleven. Just missing out on the cut are. Predator? Uh, Predator. Dirty Dancing at 11. Predator number 12. Oh. Yeah. Uh, ooh, wow. Ooh, wow. No, no, just even in, like, the top 20, you've got, like, uh, Dirty Dancing, Predator, Robocop, Broadcast Robocop. Nude. 16. That's 16th. That didn't even make the US. Eddie, Mur- Eddie Murphy's uh, standard special Raw. Which is insane. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles are number 21. Full Metal Jacket. Oh, damn. Mm. They didn't even mention Full Metal. 
Yeah, that's just yeah. This was a so this much. was a fucking year for Vietnam movies. I'll tell you that for one. Yeah, because it was probably the first one of the first years they could really look into it after. The, yeah, it had been about little, twenty and, years. Yeah. So. and like the people who. And sure, uh, Oliver Stone oh, was I it, fought in Vietnam, so yeah. it's like, yeah, he can make his goddamn movie about this, <laughs> you know. Uh, and who's gonna tell Kubrick n- what not to do at this point? Do you want to end up like Shelley Duvall? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that oh. full minute jacket. What that? That's mm. like those. The, that film is like split right down the middle between before before. They go to Vietnam and after they go yeah. to Wilder in Vietnam. And I kind of think the before Vietnam's the more interesting part. It, yeah, it, yeah, it pretty much is. But with the way, once it cuts to Vietnam, it's like she's dancing in the street with the song playing in the background. Mm. And it's like, yeah. damn, so, right into it. So yeah, so uh, that w- that's it for this week, folks. Uh, we both enjoyed this movie. That's yeah, it. yeah. I, Again. I apologize if I said yeah too many times. I've been favorite, told that. Favorite... F- favorite Coen Brothers movie, of course, and probably, and again, I'm not going to get you to rank yours. Oh, ah, uh, favorite, uh, I guess No Country for Old Men is, yeah, that's, is pretty great. I mean, then, if you, I, I mean, I, in terms of like, a, as a movie, it's yeah. probably, it is probably going to be that, but it's A just Serious like, Man, which was their follow-up to that, is, is, uh, I enjoyed it, I only seen it once, but when I, I left a big impact mm. that I can still, like, yeah. remember it I remember well. so much of that movie uh, from just, do you remember, do you, did you have Sky growing up? So I... When you, they used to do had, the movie box office, like, chart, and it no, had, oh, cause they would always run it like, at this... It's this. So, number nine, no, it's I didn't this, have, and they show a I clip. only had Sky. We didn't have Sky. We had NTL, uh, which was which is now that Virgin Media. Oh. So it was like NTL and then something else. But they would have shown us. But they would have shown it on uh, Sky One. We only had that before the recession. And then the recession oh. hit, and it was one of the things to go. But Oof. like I had Sky through my cousin's house. So yeah. I go to my cousin's house. They had Sky. Yeah. They had it downstairs. Yeah, the but they always yeah. had uh, that sort of b- movie box office kind of yeah. list. No, I only thing I got, they I, they show there would be between shows like it wouldn't be its own thing. I I explored movies through YouTube after yeah. like two thousand and seven. So yeah, that's how but I, I just remember a serious man from seeing the trailer for it in that because it would have debuted or whatever at the UK box office and, and then the Big Lebowski is uh, oh, the way its story is classic, told it's, like... yeah it's it's a it's a banger and then Fargo yeah. is also yeah. Fargo is just another great one mm. with uh, Iro- kind of ironic kind of ironic story. we're talking about Big Lebowski on like was it the fucking 19th of April oh yeah yeah it's 420 blaze it what? oh yeah um, but um it, when legal yes when legal when legal but um I know. Thank you for coming on the show. No worries. Uh, uh, it's yeah, been I hope fun. Yeah, entertaining. Hopeful, hope, hopeful to have you back at some point down yeah, the road. No worries. If no I'm, worries. I'll, I'll do what uh, I can. But yeah, so God, God bless Nick Cage. Essentially. Yeah, fair play. He's, God he's bless some Nick man. Cage. Some and, man for one man. And all, and everyone go out and watch the unbearable weight of massive talent. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. Cut to black. Cut to black. Thank you very much. See you all next week. Bye.